0: you're listening to Situational Significance on the Vanguard Podcast Network. This is a special coronavirus at home video. I'm currently in my closet recording on my laptop and I'm here with Hannah the news editor. Hello. Hello. Uh, Today we're talking about the May 19th primaries in Oregon both in Portland and across the state and then we're going to have a little discussion about what the primaries are, why they matter, stuff like that. So let's let's start off. Uh, I think the big race right now in Portland is for mayor. There are actually some serious candidates running. Uh, there's the incumbent Ted Wheeler, Sarah Iannarone, who is a uh, urban policy educator and small business founder, uh, Ozzy Gonzalez on the TriMet board. Teresa Rayford, who is a nonprofit owner and activist, and a whole bunch of other candidates.
1: What I actually think, um, the first thing that stands out to me like about the people who are running for mayor is I'm pretty sure this is the first term, the first election since around the 90s that a Portland mayor actually wants to be mayor again.
0: Yeah, um, we've had kind of a a long run of one-term mayors. So uh, yeah, let's talk about that. Why does Ted Wheeler want to stay in his job, which he obviously kind of hates?
1: Yeah, wasn't there? There's a quote I think two years ago where he said like I something along the lines of I can't wait for this to be over."
0: Yeah, and um, I saw he gave an interview to Willamette Week I think where he was talking about that moment, and he kind of tried to backtrack, and he was like, "Well." I wanted the bad interviews to be over. I I do kind of still want to be mayor. And, like, it seems like he shifted from hating his job to kind of still wanting his job.
1: It is, like, I can definitely see somebody doing that. Just, like, like if you're having, like, a bad day and it's like, oh, I just want this day to be over, but I'm going to blame it on the whole thing. But at the same time, it's like, those off comments sometimes feel like, the most honest (laughs) like this is how they're feeling
0: yeah and you know I I still don't know much about Ted Wheeler I know he was like state treasurer for a while he really wants to be governor someday um but other than that I'm I'm not really sure why he wants to be mayor of Portland uh that's never been super clear to me and his election strategy now is kind of like everyone else sucks so vote for me
1: he just sounds frustrated honestly
0: <laughs> yeah
1: I, I don't think i've ever seen aside from when he was backtracking and saying like no 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 i didn't mean that quote i'm i'm just tired of like all the the bad like the frustrating things in politics which also just feels like politics <laughs>
0: Yeah, fair.
1: Like like if you don't like the bad press and the bad things that are happening, then politics is not a great job.
0: Yeah. Um and the the other candidates who are running, um, I feel like we should kind of talk about them. They don't seem to have a big share of the vote. There hasn't been much polling because it's a municipal race, obviously, but uh, it seems like uh, Yana Ron is the most high-profile primary opponent. Uh, she ran four years ago and uh, came in second place, uh, and now she's running again. Uh, there's Ozzy Gonzalez, who's a uh, representative on the TriMet board. Teresa Rayford, she's an activist, uh, and they all have their kind of own argument of why Ted Wheeler doesn't represent Portland and why they do. So I feel like that could be kind of a bigger question, like who does represent Portland? Who should be our mayor? Um, Because I know there's been a lot of uh, criticism for a while now about how Portland is the like whitest, least diverse major city in the country. And we have our own kind of brand of Pacific Northwest liberalism. That's interesting and it is it a lot of these candidates are are kind of arguing against that in their own way
1: we have a lot of um like oregon has when we're talking about like this um because i do agree uh, oregon has it's very i feel like we have our very own specific kind of brand of liberalism and a lot of people here, like, we we want diversity. We want to be a really good, diverse city, but we're not. We're one of the whitest cities, and the fact that Oregon has a really racist history that we're still feeling the legacy of and just doesn't get talked about.
0: Right. And, um, you know, we, we also do have our own Kind of unique problems as a city that a lot of these candidates are uh, campaigning on. Like, we have two major, uh, like, urban policy candidates, basically, who are focusing on uh, homelessness, public transit, city planning, and, like, basically arguing that uh, Ted Wheeler has not addressed those issues that we have that maybe other cities don't have. Right. Right. And uh, I just think it's interesting how how much, um, especially now during you know a, a global pandemic when, sorry to get into COVID stuff, but uh, you know it's going to happen. <laughs> good city planning and um, you know, kind of the ability of people to actually social distance is kind of tied up in city planning and. You know, if public transit and public housing and, you know, the streets aren't set up for that, then you're going to have a bad time.
1: Right. I do remember I did see Ted Wheeler pretty, I wouldn't say early on. I think it was the week before Kate Brown's or even the weekend before Kate Brown's stay-at-home order. And he had gone on the news saying, like, if she doesn't do it for all of Oregon, he's at least going to do it for Portland.
0: Yeah, that, that was actually a really striking moment for me. I watched that live, and I was very confused by that press conference, but he, he did come across pretty clear.
1: Did he sound, I, d- I do just have to ask, since we, I, I missed that live stream, but since we were kind of talking about him as a mayor, did he sound frustrated with his job?
0: Um, You know, he seemed more frustrated with uh, the rest of the state officials and and the governor uh but you know this isn't this isn't Kate Brown bashing hour this is uh this is so (laughs) um but yeah yeah I I did notice that uh Wheeler kind of came out in front of every other kind of government leader in the state with his stay-at-home order and he was pretty direct like he was going to order it no matter what and I did notice too that just anecdotally Pretty much everyone I know hates Ted Wheeler, Um, and I've never met someone who likes him, but a lot of people did like that moment. Just anecdote.
1: Something that, like, I started, I kind of realized today, and I started thinking, because I'm doing news for the Vanguard and coming up with, like, what we're going to write, because we're definitely going to write on these elections. Ted Wheeler's, like... Running for re-election, if he loses, then that's kind of significant because a Portland mayor actually tried, ran for re-election and lost it. Um, and then that's an incumbent losing and and having an incumbent lose is always kind of, oh, shoot, y- y'all kind of had the advantage as the incumbent and you lost anyway. But if he wins, that's also significant because it's the first time Portland is going to have a mayor for two terms in a row. And regardless of what their policies are, because you can kind of do this with any policies, how is that going to affect his policies now that he has more time to do them?
0: Yeah, yeah, and, you know, kind of the the classic two-term incumbent thing is like he's been in the office for four years. He kind of has the lay of the land and knows more what he wants to do with the office. And so you have kind of this new dynamic, if he does get reelected of, you know, I, I don't know if Portland mayors are term limited, but I don't see him running again. So it's kind of like he's in there till the end and he, he knows what he's going to do. Um, but yeah, I, I would say how, just in general, how do you think this election has kind of played? Like, does it feel like it's a choice between candidates or does it feel more like a referendum on Ted Wheeler?
1: Um, I've, I, from what I have gathered from the news and from what I have seen, because I I will cop to it. I need to do, I need to read more news than I do. Um, but I feel like I also, it's kind of giving me the perspective of like, if they don't vote for Ted Wheeler, they're going to vote for Sarah. Because yeah. she kind of has that amount of press to garner those votes, um, so that's kind of how I see the vote playing out. It's like if if they don't like Ted Wheeler, then they're going to vote for Sarah Um That is what it feels like. If that feels like the choice between the two of them,
0: yeah. And it not to wade too much into um, national politics, but it does kind of feel like one of those. Um, rematch elections like kind of twenty sixteen and twenty twenty. Like, you know, it it's like the Democratic primary all over again. Um but this year, you know, there are more candidates and there's this bigger focus on the race, but it's still basically between Ted and Sarah. Um and she has, you know, more press and more money and all that now running for a second time. Uh, so we'll we'll see how it goes.
1: I I will kind of something else that I'm thinking about like with her her campaign and the press that she's garnered the press that she's that I most of the time when I see her in the press it's her commenting on what Ted Wheeler does yeah so
0: it it does kind of feel like a referendum election to me like it feels like Ted Wheeler yes or no
1: it does like the latest one was which I um. We we have to have like a COVID-19 jar where every time you mention COVID, you have to put a cent in the jar. Um we'll be rich. But <laughs> um it's it feels like so this is a new story that I feel like kind of got swept under like the COVID rug. That Ted Wheeler is being sued.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um tell us what's happening with that.
1: Yeah, so um Portland has this really interesting program where um I need to Um, find the exact name of it, but I think it's the Open and Honest Elections Act, where when a Portland candidate uh, for mayor, for city commissioner, for uh, different political positions in Portland, they want to run, they enter this program, and it puts a cap on their donations. Like, you cannot get large donations, I think, of above $500 from a single donor. So, um, that is it's it's meant to encourage politicians to not take like big amounts of money from giant donors. Um, and at the same time, they will match a certain amount of donation certain amount of donations with taxpayer money um in return. So to support, just to support the candidates from taking that big money. Um, and Ted Wheeler, at some point had, Now, this act was contested is basically what the problem was. This act was contested in a court, and the court said, nope, this act is unconstitutional because it's a violation of free speech. Um, Giving politicians money is free speech, and we really like free speech in this state, um, so it's unconstitutional. Um, So, and that's when Ted Wheeler got these big donations. As soon as the court said, they can't put a cap on your donations. He got big donations. But after that, and, and, and it's also important to point out like this Open and Honest Elections Act was put in by Portland voters. Like voters voted right. for this measure. It was later found unconstitutional. And then um, a little while ago, like a few weeks ago, an appeals court said, never mind, this act is constitutional. We can cap your donations. And once that happened, Sarah Einaron and a few other like election campaign activists or like election finance advocates sued him and said, "Hey, you took too much money. You should not have taken the money."
0: Right, and um, as far as I remember, the the Oregon Supreme Court took that up, right? I think so. In the last month or so, I think they ruled campaign uh finance limits are constitutional but i'm not sure if wheeler had any like uh outcome from that or um but i do know that the underlying law now is uh constitutional
1: right it is um just like a fun fact that i ended up learning um just in political science here was um for a lot of states, when we're when courts are looking at what's constitutional, they're going to first look at the u s. Constitution when they're deciding state laws. Um, but in Oregon, we first look at Oregon's Constitution and what our Constitution says. And if it's not covered by the Oregon Constitution, then we look at the u s. Constitution, which fun fact that I find that, enjoyable
0: That is a fun fact and also strange.
1: Yeah. Where it's strong, independent state who don't need no screw U.S. The
0: supremacy Clause, <laughs> am I right? So um, we've been talking about the mayor's race for a while. Uh, we should note that the way the election works is this is the primary. But if any candidate gets over 50 percent of the vote, they just automatically get elected. And there's no general. Uh, that's how Ted Wheeler got elected four years ago. He got a majority um, but let's move on to the city commission. Uh, there are three seats up for election. There is position one, which is Amanda Fritz's old seat. Uh, she resigned. Uh, position two is Nick Fish's, who died uh, last year. And position four is Chloe Udaly's, who is running for re-election. Uh, so let's start with position one. Uh, Carmen Rubio is the highest profile and I think leading in the polls, uh, if there are any polls. Uh, she is the executive director of the Latino Network, which is a Latino education and community network in Multnomah County. Uh, and her main opponent, as far as I can tell, again, no polls, uh, is Candace Avalos, who is a student mentor at PSU. Um, and as far as I can tell, Rubio is kind of like the heir apparent to the seat. Uh, She's been endorsed by every major newspaper. Uh, She's pretty much on a track to win. Um, Yep. Yeah, position two, again, kind of uneventful. Uh, There's a Metro counselor, Sam Chase, uh, who is the chief of staff for Nick Fish. Uh, And then there's Loretta Smith, who is a former Multnomah County commissioner. They're running. See how that goes. Position four.
1: There is... I do, before we get into position four, because that one I know is the spiciest one, um, something I just want to say about the commissioner seats in general is that Portland is the only major city of, like, above 100,000 people that even has this style of government. Right. (laughs) The style of government that we're talking about is – it's what's interesting about it is that all of these seats are being voted on by all of Portland.
0: Right. Yeah, there are no districts. These are all citywide.
1: So, but what that ends up doing is that now the most influential influential districts, those are the only ones that are really going to have voting power in any of these seats. Yeah, so it
0: it is kind of elected by the majority of Portland, which is you know wealthier and whiter than A lot of the cities so uh, A lot of uh, districts of the city Don't get really Represented because they get kind of Voted out but that's a whole other Whole other spiel I could go into
1: It, it is A whole other can um, of worms Whoops.
0: Anyway <laughs> position four Is it's the spicy one
1: It is the very spicy
0: one Um, Chloe Udaily is a very controversial uh, incumbent city commissioner. Uh, she ran as a renter's rights advocate. She was, a, you know, she, I think, worked for a tenant's right organization. Uh, she was very critical of the status quo of the city. And she is, I would say, one of the more or most progressive commissioners. Uh, and she's made some enemies on the on the uh, city government and a lot of people don't like her Uh, and so running against her is and i don't think this is controversial to say uh, disgraced former mayor sam adams who was caught up in a uh, controversy over a sexual relationship with one of his interns which made him resign and then there's Mingus Maps, who's a a poli sci professor, former who worked for city government, and he's the normal one, I guess.
1: I okay, so I I I didn't move to Portland until I started college. I so Ted Wheeler's been the mayor the whole time that I've been here. Um, what what I remember hearing about position four is that Chloe Daly she's the incumbent. Incumbents have an advantage for a people who just like yeah incumbent let's do that one and i don't want to read the news um so it's like she's probably gonna win it's it's spicy because like oh dear the incumbent is being challenged when we're talking about these other commission positions that don't have as much challenge but i hadn't heard mm-hmm. <laughs> about sam adams And until- so what um, did he do
0: so i don't want to cast dispersions about things i'm not clear about so what I remember is that he had a relationship with one of his interns, who was 17, and he said he waited until he turned 18 before it turned sexual, but basically that scandal is what kind of brought down his his um, administration, and he resigned, and... He's kind of just lingered in the background until now. Uh, he ran the city club in Portland for a while, and he's been kind of re-entering public life. But I guess <sighs> instead of running for an open seat, he figured this was his best shot at getting back into city government. Um, and it should also be said, like, Chloe, you originally ran as a primary challenger to the incumbent, um, Steve Novick, who is now actually endorsing her, which is kind of funny. Um, but, but she came in as kind of an outsider, uh, you know, underdog. And now e- like my sense of this is even though she's the incumbent, she is still kind of the challenger now. Because, like, the former mayor is running. And she's kind of been, like, attacked from all sides. So it's a really weird race.
1: Yeah. Why? Why would he? Because if he... If he had said like, oh, this seat is the best shot of him getting back in the race, I just don't think that's true. I
0: think he might have just figured people really hate Chloe Udaly, and that's what he based his his campaign off of. I'm not sure.
1: Like, like if his goal was just to, he wants the easiest way to get back into to get back into city council. Like, like he's been in the been in the press before, and we're talking about how these other positions. Don't really have a lot of press, and there's not a whole lot of information about, like, and not a whole lot of high-profile information about them. If he wants a shoe in; he just goes for one of the le- uh, less contested seats. Yeah,
0: yeah, I genuinely have no clue. But uh, I right. know a lot of his campaign ads are kind of just like milk toast. They're they're just kind of banking on name recognition and, uh. He's quoting old endorsements from like eight years ago. So who knows? Uh, I know, like, I think Willamette Week got mad at him for for quoting a piece from like 2012 that endorsed him. Um, y- yeah, that
1: that that endorsement coupon has expired. Yeah,
0: um, so the Oregonian uh, endorsed Mingus Maps, which I think was kind of a surprise to a lot of people cuz not many people know who he is. Um but he he's the normal one, I guess. He's the least problematic.
1: He's also there.
0: Yep. So who knows, in a split election anything can happen. Um and beyond that, there's some kind of high profile ballot measures. Uh there's one Uh, that's been in some ads recently. It's a 1% tax on high-income families and individuals and 1% tax on businesses that make uh, high revenues to pay for homeless services, addiction, mental health services, uh, stuff like that. Uh, And then there's a renewal of the $0.10 per gallon uh, Portland gas tax that was passed four years ago. And those are kind of the major mm-hmm. Portland area primaries and ballot measures. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's go into deep dives. Hey, everyone. You're listening to Situational Significance. Uh, make sure to also check out Architecture and Your Own Mind, uh, also on the Vanguard Podcast Network. Uh, today, we're talking about primaries in Portland. Uh, and now we're going to go into kind of a deep dive, talk about them um, just willy nilly. What do they mean? Why do they matter? What do we think?
1: Primaries for, because right, because so far we've been talking about Portland, the Portland primaries. Yes. But we also have the, um, Extra spicy. I don't know why I've been using spicy all day today. I'm sorry. It they, they didn't start just at this podcast. <laughs> but we also have primaries for the extra spicy.
0: Yes.
1: National level. Which, if those aren't, I don't think, are those on the 19th? Uh,
0: yeah, they are.
1: Okay. Okay. Because the reason, I think the reason I don't remember very much is one of the things we're talking about. Oregon has closed primaries. Yeah,
0: let's talk about those. What are they?
1: Um, so closed primaries are a primary in which um only people who are registered for a party can vote in that party's election. So, so that means for the major parties, the major parties, the Democrats and Republicans. You can't vote in the Democrat primary unless you're a Democrat. You can't vote for the Republican primary unless you're a so, Republican.
0: So uh, essentially, if you're a Democrat, you get the Democratic ballot mailed to you. And if you're a Republican, you get the Republican ballot. Uh, and then all the nonpartisan uh, elections for, like, city council and metro and everything. Everyone gets to vote for those.
1: hmm So I got, um, as... As a voter I am I'm registered unaffiliated So my ballot comes in really Boring <laughs> Just very nonpartisan And um, uh, We don't have the option Of voting in either oh. of the primaries
0: um, Yeah so so That's kind of a strange Issue in, in Oregon And a lot of other states um, That if you don't want to Affiliate yourself Or register with a party. You kind of don't have a voice in the primary. And you don't have a a choice in who you vote for in November. Which seems kind of strange. That seems a little, uh, shall we say, anti-democratic?
1: I would say... Hmm. I mean, I I will say, very just opinionated, I am salty that I can't vote in the primaries. (laughs) I... I, I I care about who is going to be. Some 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 years, I'll want to vote in the Democratic primary. Some years I'll want to vote in the Republican primary. And the way that a lot of different states do it, just so you're not just voting in everything, is that they have a system where once if you're unaffiliated or independent, once you vote for a party, that's your primary vote. And you can't vote right. for the other one. So it it lets you choose. When you get there. Um and it's Oh democracy, that's a that's
0: we don't have <laughs> to go that deep. I mean this is only this is a student podcast. We oh. can't solve issues of democracy.
1: Oh yeah. We can't solve all of democracy in um about
0: twenty, thirty or so minutes. Right. But you know, just in general, it's like most states i i say most i I don't know how many um most states you get to vote for whichever party you want in their primary and you kind of choose at the ballot box but in closed primary states you have to register for the party which a lot of people don't want to do for various reasons
1: it's also um significant that's kind of significant in oregon because we have a. I need to look more in depth on it. It's called a motor voter sort of law, and where essentially a lot of people are automatically registered to vote. So to encourage voting, but at the same time, all those people are registered unaffiliated.
0: Yeah, and um, like my experience, I got a little uh, like paper in the mail to tell me I was registered and asked me to register for a party. And, you know, what, like, what if you don't know, and you register for, you know, the Constitution Party or the Greens or something, and you don't really know, that means that you don't get to vote in the primary. Um, and so I know the Multnomah County Democrats had this, like, uh, drive to register people so they could vote. Um, but that that does seem like an extra kind of unnecessary step.
1: Right. It's also I think it's also important to say, because as as we're comparing state by state, like which states have closed, which states have open, this is the decision of the parties themselves, like the parties, the Oregon Democrats as an institution, the Oregon Republicans, their institution. It's their decision.
0: Right. Well, and and also, if I'm not mistaken, like in a closed primary, the party runs the primary. Yes.
1: I I, I believe, I mean, it, it, I think it has to be if they're the ones choosing who can vote in their primaries, that seems like once you're deciding who can vote, it seems like you have all the power. Right. So it
0: it does seem like just a strange system to me. Um, We, I mean, we can debate if it's good or bad, but it is kind of unique.
1: It's unique. So much of Oregon is unique. So,
0: um, I don't know. Let's, let's move on to like the actual races. There are some very high profile, uh, national races, congressional. Uh, there are some like state house races that have been kind of spicy. Um, let's talk about those. Yeah. (sighs) Um, so congressional races, uh, Earl Blumenauer in District 3 has, like, his first kind of serious challenger in, like, 20 years. Um, Albert Lee. I say serious because he's, like, on the ballot. Um, There's, uh, in District 5 or something, there's Kurt Schrader out there, Eastern Oregon, um, who's being challenged by Mark gamba who is a mayor out there um sorry i'm not as prepared for these um and then there's like pete pete defazio is being challenged by another progressive um and there seems to be kind of this resurgence of like progressive primary challengers against incumbents what does that mean why are all these progressives trying to unseat these incumbents?
1: I think, I don't know, this, this might be, because this is definitely a topic, um, and this might be a little, it's a thing that I feel like we, our Democratic Party, just in general, on the whole nationwide scale, it is kind of split into moderate Democrats and more progressive Democrats.
0: Yeah, and, like, I think a lot of people think of Oregon as a pretty progressive state, but we are, like, more moderate than some people might think.
1: We definitely have, if you just, if you just, well, no. Oregon definitely has a divide between urban and, oh, I can't say this word. It's the word with two R's. It's Eastern Oregon. Rural. Yup.
0: Yeah, and i don't know maybe we're just paying attention to the democratic races because the oregon republican party is statewide kind of dead um but there there are some interesting things uh greg walden who is our i think single republican congressman you can check me on that um he is retiring and uh newt bueller oh yeah who ran for governor two years ago is uh I think the presumptive nominee for his seat, so we're still gonna see Newt.
1: I, yeah, I, I imagine like he would have to. Well, th- this is something where it's like, I, I personally don't get a whole lot of very Republican, very right wing, obviously biased news, and not biased in like a bad way. I don't read news from a right wing perspective all that often, mm-hmm. so. The new sources that I'm getting from that are more Democrat, that are more liberal. Newt Buehler is like one, the one Oregon Republican I've heard of.
0: I mean, yeah. The, you know, there's the Secretary of State race um, a few years ago that was big. Oh. Uh, where uh, Richardson was a Republican. He won. But that's the only one I can think of.
1: And I believe Bev Clearnote, our current Secretary of State, she's also a, a yeah. Republican.
0: Uh, I think the governor appointed her because she, like, promised to do the same party. Um, but, yeah, there I don't think there are any real, like, serious Republicans running this year. It's mostly just a primary election between all the Democrats for Secretary of State. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, because Oregon kind of functions as a one-party state, Um, The primaries matter a lot, and whoever the Democrat is, is usually guaranteed to win. So I feel like people don't pay attention to um, May 19th as much as they do November 3rd.
1: Right. It... Because it's also... I I just want to double-check this, because I want to make sure. I feel like these dates are fairly close to each other, I may be mistaking them. Our presidential primary is on the 19th ballot, right? Yeah. Okay.
0: Because that's
1: like, yeah, I, I I pulled my ballot for this. I, I have my ballot. I don't have a Multnomah County ballot because um, I'm mostly... So far, I've only been living here for college. I usually live in Lane County and nothing exciting is going on there. Yeah. <laughs> Um. So, so that's why when I was saying I had a boring ballot earlier, it's boring. <laughs> um. So, but there's the presidential primaries. But at the same time, is that much more less boring because Biden's it?
0: <laughs> yeah. So I I did some like Wikipedia sleuthing, and as far as I can tell. The Oregon presidential primary has not made a difference since, like, 1988. Um, We voted for Gary Hart, who then lost. That's basically it. We always come so late that it doesn't matter. And so, if you don't have any state or local races, then, like, you're kind of screwed. Your ballot doesn't matter.
1: Mm -hmm. What was it? Because I remember, I think it was also... Sometime around the 80s was the last time We voted for a Republican Like our electoral college Voted for a Republican
0: in the presidential race. Yeah um, I think the last time Was actually like Reagan um, And then we've been like solid blue Ever since Which is you know It's how it is I guess it,
1: It's definitely I, I think what's interesting So this might be This might just be me talking, so oops. But at the same time, it's like, on a national level, if people here are in a party, they're probably Democratic. um, Unless you are in a rural area, they're probably Republican. But Oregon has a lot of independent voters. And Oregon has a lot of people who care about being unaffiliated.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would say, just from living here, like, being an independent kind of is an identity just as much as being part of a party.
1: So would it, if Oregon had, if a more independent, moderate politicians had more of a stage on the national level, would Oregon get more of a voice?
0: I mean, I there are just all these factors going into why we don't matter. And it sucks to say that, but it's kind of true. Um... We've always voted like solid blue since the 80s. So no presidential candidate has incentive to come here. Um, our primary comes so late that it also doesn't matter, unlike some states, <laughs> Iowa, <laughs> New Hampshire. Um, and even if it did, we have so few like delegates and so few uh, electors that we still don't matter. Um, and so I wonder, like, all of that, plus the closed primaries, plus this, like, independent streak in our state, I kind of wonder if, like, we've just demoralized people into not voting. It feels
1: definitely like when we start talking about, like, all of those different factors, it's like, there's no logical incentive to vote.
0: Yeah, right. Like, there's no rational reason why... If you're an Oregonian, you would fill out a ballot, like. <laughs> I don't know. Even
1: though it's vote by mail and our ballots are delivered to a, oh my god, voting right, by that mail That is really <laughs> nice.
0: Yeah, I mean, my my ballot literally just came in the mail, and I filled it out and returned it within a day. I just walked down to the post office. That's great.
1: I I I will say I'm. The the only, the biggest, by far the, you know, the biggest problem with voting by mail is that I really do want them to put an I voted sticker in the envelope.
0: Yeah, I I miss that. I want that.
1: Yeah, I, 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 I would take time out of my Tuesday work day when I'm trying to make money to walk down to the nearest available voting booth to wait in a very long line for a sticker. (laughs)
0: Yeah, and I mean you could buy them, but it's not the same.
1: It's not the same. I didn't earn it. I mean, I earned it by voting, but but it's not the same.
0: Yeah, it's it's too bad. But I mean, I obviously in all other ways, vote by mail is is amazing. Um, but we don't it get is. the sticker.
1: We don't get the sticker. So real quick. I am checking out voter turnout in the state of Oregon to see if there is a difference in our voter turnout. So Oregon had a 67% voter turnout in 2018.
0: I mean, that's pretty good.
1: Which state? That's pretty good. And then, correct me if I'm wrong, Iowa is the first one?
0: He... Yeah, for the Democratic primary, at least. Okay. Uh,
1: <laughs> well, Googling Iowa voter turnout is why did it go so bad this year?
0: Oh, my God. Yeah, that, I'm, I still have PTSD from that.
1: I was just so I remember I was at work. I was like, oh, I'm going to check the I'm going to check the Iowa turnout vote because I don't want to be working right now. And I checked it and I was like, mm, about that.
0: Well and then everyone got into like Twitter fights about What matters more votes Or state delegate equivalents And like there's this whole debacle And Ugh
1: Okay I just want 20 Let's do, let's do their 20 I'm, I've got Oregon's 2018 voter turnout I'm gonna check Iowa's Voter turnout Okay it's got one Oregon is 67%. Iowa, whose primaries, these are not primaries this is November 2018 general election. Okay. Sorry. This is probably just like looking up statistics that like are hard to find just quickly. So.
0: Oh, yeah. Also, speaking of Iowa, can we just say like how lucky we are to have a primary and not a caucus? Where you have to, like, pack into a gym and literally stand in a group to decide who you vote for? Like, what I is that? I will say,
1: I personally don't know a whole lot about caucuses, because every time I've tried, it just scares me.
0: I don't think many people do, including the ones who run them. Um, Considering how badly they went this year, um, I think they might be coming to yeah. an end. Like, That's like weird. we're
1: sitting here talking about, like, our primaries don't have a lot of reasons to matter. They're closed. That's not great. We've got a lot of these issues, but they function.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, imagine literally having to go down to, like, the school auditorium and just standing in a in a group. Like, literally raising your hand to vote. I don't get that. Plus, I mean, if you have to work or if you have a disability or if you don't like crowds or anything, you're kind of disenfranchised just by default.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of there's so many reasons why just the fact that our election days are on Tuesdays is enough that like, okay, so anybody who has to hecking work can't go to vote.
0: Yeah, or you have to get up at like five in the morning to go to poll open with everyone else, or you have to wait until like ten p.m. By the time the polls have already closed, it's it's ridiculous.
1: What even was I guess the thought behind that? Like, oh yeah, this person takes their lunch, then they can go, and then the other person will take this their lunch and they'll go. Did they just expect everyone to abandon their posts to vote and then go back to work?
0: I mean, I think the law was passed in, like, the 1840s, so it hasn't changed. They haven't reevaluated. This law was passed when people still traveled to the voting booth by horse and buggy.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I do want that sticker, I really do. But I will take my ballot being delivered. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean just how hard can it be to just stick a sticker in the envelope?
1: For states that are still it not doing straight. mail-in voting, which I I, I um another cent for the COVID jar. Um California has is going to be doing vote mail-in voting, aren't they?
0: Uh yeah, actually the governor signed an executive order uh sending everyone in the state an absentee ballot, which kind of proves That basically every state that has absentee ballots can just do that, like, by decree. And why are they not? Who knows? Okay. Uh, So we should probably start winding down. Uh, We've been talking about primaries and primary politics and elections for a while. And my head is starting to hurt. Um, It is. So...
1: And I, and I do, actually. This is the deadline for me to get my ballot in today, so...
0: Oh, yeah. Um. By the time this podcast comes out, obviously that will be outdated, but today is the last day to mail your ballot, so if you're watching from the future, then, I don't know, travel in time. Um, or just mail your ballot.
1: Good job. Try... Mail your ballot. Remember to do it for next year. This isn't Animal Crossing. No time traveling.
0: Uh, So yeah, this has been a special coronavirus stay-at-home episode of Situational Significance. Hope you guys enjoyed.